Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. We have a beautiful Bible study today entitled Rest, Relationships, and Healing. Please stay with us. You may find healing for your soul and your whole being. I would like to welcome our panel, and I'm starting with Ken. Good to have you back, Ken. Thank you, Nick. It's, uh, it seems a long time since I've been here, but we had technical issues at this end. We've just recently got fixed, so that's why we haven't been here. Thank you, Will, for joining us. It's great to join the team again, uh, the panel again, Nick, and uh, it's good to talk about a very relevant topic. And hi, Lija. Good to have you with us. I'm very glad to be part of the Bible study group. Praise the Lord for that. Len, also thank you for joining. Thank you for your welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. And Brenton, good to have you with us. It's very good to be here. I'm quite excited about uh, sharing the subject of forgiveness with our listeners today, Nick. And Joe, thank you for uh, joining us and most of all uh, for putting together this uh, study and leading in. You are facilitating today. Thank you for joining. You're welcome. And it's always good to be here. I hope that we'll all gain much out of this study and discussion. And I will just hand it over to you, Joe. Thank you, Nick. Our discussions over the last few weeks have had the overarching theme of finding rest in Christ, finding peace in Christ. Um, We have been discussing how to find this rest in a turbulent world, and today our discussion is about how to find peace through forgiving others and being forgiven, finding healing from being forgiven and forgiving others, the importance of letting go and forging new beginnings and moving on, What does the Bible tell us about this topic? There are some deep lessons that we can draw from the story of Joseph. The Bible never glosses over the truth or hides sensitive information to make characters look good or impressive. Bible heroes are often flawed as we are ourselves, and this gives us hope as we can see ourselves reflected in Bible experiences. Joseph's family, as dysfunctional as it may seem, shows us that no matter what our experience may be, We can rise above it by the grace of God. Lydia, would you like to pray for us before we start our discussion? My pleasure. Holy Father in heaven, we are coming before you, Father, surrendering ourselves to you and humbling ourselves to you. So thank you so much, Father, that you gave us this opportunity to gather together at your feet and learn from you. Father, We're going to learn from you about forgiveness, about finding rest in our hearts after forgiveness and learning to restore broken relationships as Jesus did. And after that, finding healing in our hearts. Father, we know that everything starts with you in our hearts. Please teach us, bless us with your Holy Spirit in our hearts and empty ourselves of everything that stands between us and you. Father, we are surrendering everything to you. Please take lead in our lives and in our hearts and in our study today and help us, Father, that whatever we learn at your feet to apply in our lives, to find rest and healing in you and with others around us and your holy love to domain in our hearts and lives and 
to be able to represent you in our in our lives and uh, to all those around us. Father, thank you so much for everything that you did for us and you're still doing for us. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that beautiful prayer, Lydia. Now, last week we finished with Joseph in jail. Um, We discussed how he got there. Um, Joseph's position was there, was a bit of an anomaly where he was essentially a prison warden, at the same time a prisoner put there by um, Potiphar's wife, as we remember. We'll also remember that she was a very beautiful woman and sophisticated and became very angry uh, when Joseph kept rejecting her overtures and she made claims that uh, could have or would have virtually been a death sentence for Joseph. And so we can read more of that, about this story in Genesis uh, for those who are interested. But to get to this week, he'd been in jail for a long time and things are about to change for Joseph. Ken, two very important people from the Pharaoh's court were thrown into jail. Tell us a bit more about these two. Who were they and what was their story? Well, as we have heard, Joseph's been in jail for some time now, and all of a sudden, these other two people arrive in with them. And we can see from this story, as I'm going to give the details in a moment, that the Lord was with Joseph and was looking after him. So what was happening in the king's palace, he had two of his key people. He had a butler and a baker. But one day, these two men, it doesn't give us what exactly happened, but they upset Pharaoh, and he was very, very angry with them, and so angry, in fact, that he sent them to jail. And they ended up uh, in the same prison where Joseph was, and he got to know them. And they were there for a little while, and then one night, both of them had a dream, but it was a different dream. And when they woke up in the next morning, uh, and Joseph ended up chatting to them, and they told them they had a dream, but they didn't understand it, and they were looking very, very sad. So Joseph said to them, well, perhaps the Lord, God Almighty, he can help you with the dream. Would you like to share it with me? Anyway, each of them then in turn shared the dream. The chief butler told the dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossom short forth, it must have brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of this dream. Three branches for three days. Now within these three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner where you were his butler. But please remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house, for indeed I have been stolen away here from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing wrong here that they should put me in jail. Well then, of course, it came to the baker, and uh, the baker saw that the interpretation was good. So, He asked about his dream, and the baker said, I was also in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So 
So Joseph, Joseph answered and said to him, this is the interpretation of it. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from your and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So that wasn't, that wasn't a very nice thing to hear. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had intended to him. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but completely forgot him. So here we have an amazing thing that God, even though Joseph's been in jail for some time, has not deserted nor left him, but he's just waiting for the right circumstances to come along so that things can change. Yeah. So Joseph was forgotten for another two years. Yes. And um and many would have, um, you know, going through the same circumstances might have become bitter and angry. But Joseph seemed to leave it with God and trust in his providence. Um, Joseph had faith and he had faith that God would bring him out of this in his time. Lynn, now Pharaoh had a dream which perplexed him greatly. Briefly, what was this dream and how did that involve Joseph? Sketch in the details how Joseph came to be second in charge. Well, there are dreams and there are dreams. And obviously this dream impressed Pharaoh very much. It wasn't just one of those stupid dreams that we can pass off. Pharaoh felt very moved. And this was the dream. In his dream, Pharaoh was standing next to the River Nile. And while he was doing that, up out of the water came seven sleek, fat cows And this was very interesting. And then a little while later, up came seven skinny, scrawny cows. And what did they do? They ate the the fat cows. And this was a bit weird. But anyhow, Pharaoh had woken up at this stage. And then he went back to sleep. And in his second dream, there was this um, head of wheat or this wheat plant with seven nice fat heads on it. And then along came seven scrawny, skinny, miserable, shriveled up heads, and they ate up the fat ones. Well, the two dreams and meant more or less the same thing. So in the morning he called all these magicians and he said, look, this is what my dreams were. Now explain it to me. They scratched their heads and they couldn't come up with anything. And then the butler, whom Ken has just mentioned, said to Pharaoh, I know somebody who can interpret your dreams, referring to Joseph. Well, Joseph was called. At first he had to have a shave. He would have had quite a long beard at this stage and shave and change of clothes and probably a wash. And Pharaoh said to him, now, I had a dream. No one can interpret it, but I've heard that you can. You know what Joseph said? I cannot do it. And then he said, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So straight away, Joseph gave the uh, glory to God. And then uh, Joseph explained that both those dreams meant the same thing. There would be seven 
productive years in Egypt where the crops would be good and everything would be fine. And then there would be a seven-year drought, which explained the skinny cows eating the fat cows and the scrawny uh, heads of wheat eating the nice fat ones. But Joseph didn't stop there. I'm sure Pharaoh was pretty impressed at this stage. And in verse 33 of chapter 41 of Genesis, it says, Joseph said, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And he said, Organize this so that you've got somebody so that during those seven good years, which were about to come, that grain should be stored up in Egypt because there is going to be a drought for the seven following years. Verse 37 of chapter 41. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne, I will be greater than you. Well, this is rags to riches story. Joseph mm-hmm. in prison. Yes. And, and so Joseph, Joseph sets about making provisions during the good years, storing up yeah. grain yes. um, in preparation no. for the hungry years. And so at the end of the seven good years, we have a famine, perhaps a famine that hasn't been since the beginning of time. Who knows? It is so severe that people from the surrounding regions come to Egypt to buy food. And here we have um, where Joseph's brothers um, come to Egypt on a mission to buy grains to sustain their flocks and themselves through these hungry years. Now, a long time had passed since they'd seen Joseph. Did, uh, did, how long had it been, Brenton, and did they recognise him? Did he recognise um, them? Joe, probably uh, the period of time that passed in total up until where we're referring to now in our narrative is possibly as long as 22 years. He's getting close to 40 years of age. And what's interesting about this story is uh, if you look at um, Genesis 42, verse 1, Jacob discovers that there is food down in Egypt. And he says this, and I think this is worth thinking about. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Now, Jacob is suggesting to them, guys, we're running out of food here. We need to go to Egypt to get food. And their reaction to going to Egypt, he's saying to himself, what's going on here? I wonder seriously whether he started to entertain doubts at that point in time as to whether Joseph really was dead, but we don't really know. What we do know is that uh, he ordered them virtually to go to Egypt and buy food for them. When they get there, what's interesting is Joseph would have been sitting in his seat of custom. He would have been dressed in a white linen robe with probably a gold chain around his neck. He would have been clean shaven. And because it's more than half of his life ago since they've seen him, they don't recognise him, but he recognises them straight away. And he's fairly clever because he actually talks to them through an interpreter. 
He doesn't talk to them directly because they think wrongly that he doesn't understand them. So he talks to them through an interpreter. And what does he say to them? He says, you guys are spies. You've come down to here to spy out the land because Egypt was often under um, various tribes around the place used to invade Egypt from time to time. And you know yourself, Joe, that when a person is suffering from a lack of food, sometimes desperate measures are taken. So he's saying, you guys are spies. I know what you're up to. You've come down here to have a look at the land. And they're saying, no, 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 that's not like that at all. Um, we, we are honest men. We're actually 12. Now, this is where the story becomes interesting. He, he immediately picks up on the fact that they claim that their family are 12. And they use the term one is not and the other is back with his father because only 10 of them went down there. What test did uh, he set for them? He said, I don't believe you. So he stuck them in jail for three days. Now, at the end of that time, he said, I want you to bring this youngest brother. You claim you've got a youngest brother. I want you to bring him back next time you come. But we need to recognise in the story that he still provided for their welfare. He still gave them grain. Yes, he did send their money back in their sacks with, with the grain, but he did provide for them. What's really eerily interesting about this is the fact that Simeon was bound in front of his nine other brothers and taken off to jail. Now, if you go back 22 years, what happened to Joseph? Joseph is pulled out of the pit. He's bound and sent with the Ishmaelite traders to Egypt. (laughs) So you've got some connections there. Joseph is actually testing these men to find out whether their attitude has changed and furthermore, whether their attitude towards their youngest brother, who would now be dad's favourite, has changed. Very interesting, isn't it, when you see the story unfolding? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you think uh, Do you think he was still angry with them, or do you think that perhaps he had forgiven them at this stage or perhaps early on? Who knows? And the question that comes to my mind, is it God's will for us to carry a grudge around for any length of time? Will, could you throw some light on this question? Joseph confronts his brothers, and I think central to how Joseph managed to survive these dark chapters in his life is a text in Ephesians 4 verse 26, which says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Joseph had had a lot of time to wrestle and pray and sort out his emotions during the various stages of his ordeal. It started with a bewilderment, we remember, of this young man in the pit, and then the tedious hours of walking many hours to Egypt, thinking and praying, then being imprisoned again after trying to do the right thing. Hours and days of struggling with emotions might have been enough for many a person to abandon a life of strict principle and service to God. Uh, Desperation, I believe, can easily lead to irresponsibility. The key, however, is stated in uh, several times in the Bible account in his life. And that seminal statement that we covered last week is, uh, the Lord was with Joseph. Yes. If you take the Lord into your life, I believe, uh, panel and listener, his presence dissipates a lot of baggage, sinful tendencies. You know, anger, payback, retribution are replaced by the graces of the Spirit of God. 
Joseph was certainly disappointed in his brothers and their rejection of him, even demeaning his life to the role of a slave. But he decided himself that anger and revenge were not to be an enduring part of his life. In short, he had forgiven them, I believe. By a miracle of God, he could actually rise above those evil thoughts and actions against him. But, you know, here is the hard part for us. It's not easy, but forgiveness is a thing that's required of the Christian. In the prayer that Jesus taught us is the phrase, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Jesus says, in other words, with what measure you meet or measure, the same measure is measured against you. Frankly, I would hate it if God would judge me on the basis of my judgment of others. But we learn that Joseph rises above it all uh, with the help of God who is with him, and he's unable to actually look forward to meeting his brothers again, showing them that he loved them uh, later with a deep embrace. Of course, we'll hear more about that later, I'm sure. Brenton? I believe, Joe, that he did, had forgiven his brothers, and I'll tell you why. Um, his plan in testing his brothers indicate to me that he's forgiven them because when you are consumed by the desire for revenge, you are not thinking clearly, and you continue not to think clearly. I believe by this stage he's been elevated to the second in charge in, in Pharaoh's court. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. I believe he has begun to see pretty clearly that God has been with him all along. Will touched on the fact that Moses records in Genesis that God was with him. I think by this stage, at 40 years of age or very close to it, he's starting to see pretty clearly that all through this experience, even starting back when he was thrown into the pit, through his time in Potiphar's house, where he would have met very important people, now he's the second most powerful man in Egypt. He's interacting with these people on a different level. I believe that he is seeing clearly that God has been there all the time and he's recognising that in order for him to follow God's plan for his life, it is necessary for him to forgive his brothers. And I believe he's done that by this stage, but he's testing them. He's testing yeah. them to see how sincere they are. Do you, do you think he would have got as far as he did had he harboured a grudge in his heart and no. ill will? you know, eating away at him, do you think he could have been as successful or as effective for, to serving God for that matter? Simple answer, Len? no. <laughs> no, Len? Dreams have played, had played a large part in Joseph's life. The dreams of the butler and the baker, Pharaoh's dreams, and he probably remembered that when he was very young, he had a dream. Yes. And he probably realised very much at this stage that God had been with him. And probably when his brother showed up, he then realised that the dream that he had when he was just a young lad was now being fulfilled. The good thing was he never used this opportunity for revenge. Yes. As Brenton and uh, Will were saying, he was forgiving. Although he wasn't all over them like a rash and saying, I forgive you, he was giving them time to absorb the situation. Joseph was now the one in power. 
Whereas before, when they grabbed him and threw him down the pit and sold him to the slave traders, then he wasn't in power, but now he's in power. The tables are turned. And, of course, you know, in the Bible, the Bible tells us that, you know, they lay prostrate before him, you know, and this is that the dream's coming true. And I wonder if they had a flashback after they found out who he was that um, this was in very, that was very much the case. Brenton. Yeah, just very quickly on this, Joe, and I'm going to mention there is a, a course available that our listeners can avail themselves of called Forgive to Live. If they want to know further information about it, uh, contact the channel. But Forgive to Live is a very interesting uh, course of study because one of the things suggested in there that really resonated with me, Joe, is you should not forgive too quickly. You know, sometimes someone does something that really hurts you and you say, oh, forget it. Um, you know, that's gone. That's uh, He says in the book, you should not forgive too quickly. Joseph has had 22 years since the time he went in the pit till the time he meets his brothers, not only to assimilate into Egyptian society, he has also had the ability to think through what has gone on. And as he has recognised God's leading in his life at this particular point in time, I believe he now has the capacity to forgive these boys, whereas I would have suggested to you when he was thrown into jail after Potiphar's wife, or even when he went to Egypt, he wouldn't have had that capacity. So forgiving too quickly can actually be a disadvantage because the person who is the perpetrator sometimes does not recognise the enormity of what they've done. And as we go further into our study today, as you know, we find there is quite a bit of recrimination going on amongst the brothers. (laughs) That's a very good point. And I think with time and maturity, uh, Joseph realised the situation that had brought about um, him ending up in Egypt, you know, the, and we just touched on that um, last week where, you know, the father had so favoured him and uh, this, this was a situation that, you know, his father should have known better and how that ill will, that anger, that hatred had welled up in the brothers and so... You know, he would have seen that it wasn't just one factor. There was so many factors that led to him being sold into slavery. You know, all very wrong, but he would have grown in maturity and come to understand his brother's frustrations. And they wouldn't have, they would have been fairly young men too, very inexperienced. So, Ken, I'm just wondering, is forgiveness something easy or hard to do? Many would say that forgiveness is hard. And why does it seem so? What makes forgiveness so hard and yet so important? I recently actually gave a sermon on this very topic. I was very surprised at some of the information I discovered when I was researching it. Yes, I believe it can be very hard for people to forgive another person who has hurt them in some way. They may have lost a loved one who is very dear to them, and that may last forever. But the perpetrator may well be free to carry on their life. It is interesting to read in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, Paul tells us, be angry, but do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Another important text is Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, here we see that it is human nature to be angry when we are hurt. 
but we are not to dwell on or seek revenge on that person involved. Also, we must forgive them because if we don't, God won't forgive us, which may in turn prevent us from going to heaven. But it doesn't end there. If we hold anger against someone, it affects our health as well and can lead to all sorts of problems. And of course, there is the example of Christ forgiving us for our wrongs, even though it was our sins who put him there. When I was researching this topic, I obviously give a number of examples out of scripture for different people, people like Joseph who we're reading about, but other people as well. But then I also give three different families, Australian families this last year, who have lost loved ones through, let's say, very unfortunate circumstances. And each of these people forgive the perpetrators who ended up killing their loved ones. And I didn't specifically pick these people out, but when I researched it, I found all of them were Christian, and I find that really interesting. Mm. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the program Forgive to Live, because Brenton just uh, alluded to this program. But I'd like you to know that we provide this program all around Australia and wherever you live. You can contact our station or you can contact our program. You know, uh, we have the number. We give the number to you every time. And we'll be happy to direct you, to guide you into one of these uh, programs. What is good of this program for Give to Live is that offers a support group also. We are talking today about rest, relationships, and healing All these things are very important to follow. And it's very difficult for a person who is hurt to experience peace in his heart. It's very difficult to connect with other people, to develop relationships. And obviously, it's very difficult to experience healing. I really encourage you, if you've been through some traumatic situations or you experience some sort of pain, you've been hurt, somebody did wrong to you, to really be part of one of this program. I encourage you to contact us because you'll learn something special, how to deal with this serious problem which we face in, in our society today. Uh, lots of people cannot move on in life because they cannot forgive and forget what happened in their lives. I really encourage you to be part of the program. Now, in regard to Joseph, just to add a little bit here, he experienced all these uh, wrongdoings to him, but he found peace with himself because he was connected with God. Once he find that rest in God, he developed those relationships. He was not, he didn't cut off himself. He was always in the center of attention, if you like. In the prison, he was you not know, talking to his inmates. Everywhere he was, he was involved. And I believe that helped him tremendously to deal with the pain and hurt which he experienced. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, Ligia, you were going to talk about that, weren't you, about for- forgiveness being essential to healing. Would you continue to comment on that, please? Yes. Forgiveness, it was and it is a key factor to find healing 
and to get our lives together again. Because without forgiveness, we remain victims, victims of anger, victims of darkness in our hearts and hurt. And forgiveness has more to do with ourselves than with the person or persons who have wronged us. Forgiveness starts in our hearts with myself. And we cannot forgive unless we have continuous and strong relationship with God in humbleness and surrender to Him. Only God can place forgiveness in our hearts. We cannot forgive from ourselves, even if we can try and fight against this. We cannot do. Jesus is the only author of forgiveness from love, from his divine love placed in our hearts. He is the one. I, I went through this through uh, in many moments in my life that I I had to forgive because if I wouldn't forgive, I would uh, live the rest of my life a victim of unhappiness and darkness. And if we ask Jesus to help us to close the door of the past and open a door of the future in love, we can forgive without even knowing, without battling this. But Jesus is the only one that can place forgiveness in our hearts. Well said, Lydia. The Bible is very specific, Len, about the sun not going down on our anger, as we've read. But what else does the Bible say about forgiveness? Well, I'd like to refer to what Jesus said about forgiveness. One day the Apostle Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, these days, we have that expression, three strikes and you're out. Peter was pretty generous. He doubled the three strikes and added a bit. And Jesus' reply just about floored him. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I have to point out, some Bibles say seven times seven. But I've always accepted that Jesus said 70 times seven, which really means, no, there is no limit to how many times you should forgive. Well, that might sound pretty rough, but, you know, there is a big lesson here for us. It's it's a statement I would like to read. If the wound is deep, we will probably have to forgive many times. When memories of the wrong come to mind, we need to go to God immediately in prayer and make the choice to forgive again. Now, if we forgive the person, we sometimes have to realise that those bad feelings will come up again and we need to forgive again and again and again, really for our own sakes. Otherwise, the hate, the anger will consume us. On on the passage which Len just mentioned about forgiving uh, 70 times 7, it's very important to notice uh, that Jesus is kind of presenting that uh, you should not even start to count and to think in that way. You need to prepare yourself, first of all, to to act immediately 
on uh, forgiveness, you know, because otherwise it will just grow, you know, into your heart, into your mind. It can be more difficult to forgive. And considering that um, I heard about, you know, scholars believe that when he said 70 times 7 was referring to one day. That's what he says not to let the sound down, you know, uh, before you forgive. And uh, imagine if you have to forgive, uh, let's say, 70 people who wronged you in that day. It's it's a bit of an uh, impossibility, but uh, what that's what Jesus prepared his disciples and uh, gave that lesson to us all. Yes, it is. And so every time, because if the wounds are deep, as it's, said, as it's been said, it will well up from time to time. There'll be triggers that will remind us of some injury or some pain. And so then we need to remember that Christ has forgiven us many, many times and remembers our sin no more. Will, on a different angle, should we have any sympathy for what the brothers might have been through in the previous, you know, after after they had sold Joseph into slavery, when they'd gone home, give us some insight. Show us what do you think, um, how do you think they felt? Should we have any sympathy for them? Um, did the, Do they deserve it? Can you please um, just elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I don't think there's, uh, there's peace of mind after you've done um, so much wrong. Uh, in fact, the Bible says uh, in Isaiah 57 and Isaiah 58, 48, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In Isaiah 57, it says, but the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, sort of a reminder all the time that you've done wrong. You know, the Urban Dictionary has some very interesting statements and some tongue-in-cheek ones too, but it really presents well here when it says, the evil-spirited man cannot rest. His mind can never settle down into a calmer state. Uh, Thus is the life of a liar, a thief, a murderer, an offender, or a squanderer. That person who holds a heart of guilt is sent back, and I like this, is sent back into a life form more miserable than the one prior to his offense. (laughs) But, you know, specifically about Joseph's brothers, um, Joe, that you asked, it must have pained them to witness the deep sorrow of their father over the absence of his beloved son, whom they had betrayed. And even more distressing, they would have to, had to keep a terrible secret for years until they were forced to confess to their father and their family that it was their deception that had plunged the father into a grief which uh, the old man seemed not able to bear. And this is really a heavy burden on anybody's soul. But the gnawing secret had to be kept uncomfortably for sure. But time... I say time would ultimately reveal the truth. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Luke 12, 3. He says, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Now we find the brothers standing before the governor of Egypt, whom they did not recognize as being Joseph. And it all came to a head, I believe, when Judah later said in absolute remorse, God hath found out the iniquity 
of thy servants. So true. So when we make poor choices, when we make bad choices, when, you know, we choose to hurt others out of anger, spontaneously or premeditated, we're actually, there are two parties that are hurt. It's not just the one side that is hurt, but even those who are doing wrong are also hurting themselves, only perhaps they don't realise it at the time. Brenton, had the brothers changed, do you think, from reading of the scripture? Were they sorry? I mean, there are lots of lots of hints in scripture about how they felt about what had happened all that time ago. Mm. Let's uh, just have a look briefly, Joe, at uh, Genesis 42, verse 21 to 24. This is a discussion, remember, that is going on in the presence of Joseph, who they know to be the ruler of Egypt, but do not know that it is actually their brother. And this is uh, one of the brothers talking. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, that we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. And then Reuben chimes in as the eldest and says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realise that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. Had they changed? Yes, I believe they had. I don't know, Joe, how much study has been done. I'm sure there have been studies done on what guilt does to a person. They have been carrying this guilt for a long period of time. They've had to carry the guilt not only in their own minds of what they did to their brother, they've had to conceal it from their father. And as Will has quite eloquently said, every time their father would mention the word Joseph in conversations, I'm sure they did around the campfire and while they were eating meals and that sort of thing, their consciences would have been pricked. Now it seems to me that here they are in the very presence of the boy that they have sold into slavery not realising that it's him. And the, I don't know whether it's recriminations, but certainly I, I guess to a degree it is. They are reflecting on the fact that um, justice has caught up with them. Now there has to be an accounting for his blood. Part of the forgiveness process and the forgive to live course uh, it will certainly travel down this path with you. It will help you to reframe uh, your experience of how someone has hurt you. But They haven't had an opportunity to reframe this experience and they haven't had an opportunity to say sorry to Joseph because for all they know, Joseph is dead. He was sold as a slave and slaves didn't live very long in that culture. So um, all of those things are going on at the present time, Joe. And uh, Joseph is, shall we say, a first-class witness to this. The fact that he went away and wept suggests very strongly to me that he recognises that these were different brothers from the ones who threw him into the pit when he was 17 years of age. Yes, the scripture um, tells us that actually records that Joseph wept some three times on different occasions. Um, I think the the very, very telling occasion was when Judah, um, when the cup is found in Benjamin's Benjamin's bag. Yeah. And he, Judah intercedes. He basically says, now let me, let me remain 
here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy and let the boy return. Now, here he is saying, let me, let me be the slave. He had sold Joseph, if you like, into slavery. Yes. That was his idea, wasn't it? And now he's saying, no, no, you know, what a change, what a change in the attitude of this man alone. So, yes, it is quite impressive. He says to Joseph, even though, again, he still doesn't recognise him as Joseph, how can no. I see my father's distress if I go back without my brother? I can't oh, do that. <laughs> they would have seen, they would have seen Jacob yes. weeping many a time over the loss of Joseph and grieving. And so it would have hurt them and they would have, it would have been a very painful experience for all parties so. involved. Just before you move on, just quickly on that one, I like to point out something. Usually when uh, in a group, like in this case, even the brothers, they were uh, all together there and or they were kind of united together to do wrong to Joseph. What I would like to suggest here is that we need to stand tall and bold when something wrong is proposed, you know, or something wrong is, is to be done to somebody. The reason I'm saying this, because it's very easy to do wrong things, not by saying anything, not, but just being part of the same group and not standing up against the wrongdoing. And that can happen actually in churches. That can happen in, in families ties and all those aspects. I really encourage here that we should stand tall and stand for the right thing rather than to go with the, with the flock. Mm, okay, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, sometimes just being silent is not, well, it isn't good enough to be silent. We need to make it a stand. And I imagine that, you know, I think there were about three brothers that were kind of, you know, the ones that were the movers and the shakers and the others were just followers. Yeah. So moving on, um, sometimes the wrongdoer showing remorse and being genuinely sorry helps with uh, forgiveness and healing to, to take place. Lydia, tell us more about choosing to forgive regardless of the attitude of the party. You know, that sometimes people are not sorry and um, can't see that they've done anything wrong. How should we be? Should we forgive regardless? You know, forgiveness is an attitude of grace. And uh, for those who have wronged us, it does not justify uh, their sinful behavior, but it releases them from our condemnation and treats them with kindness despite what they have done to us. So genuine forgiveness does not wait until the person who has wronged you asks you to forgive him or her. But genuine forgiveness chooses to forgive others when they do not deserve it because God's love reaches out to us when we do not deserve it. So in spite of our feelings, we have to make a choice to forgive even if our, if our emotions may not agree with this decision, because God knows that in our own strength, this choice is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is what it says as we read in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. All things are possible with God. Without God, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. 
So all things are possible with God. If we make this choice to um, accept God's power in our hearts to forgive, forgiveness comes without any hesitation, without us trying to fight against it. Mm, very good. Now, we, we've already mentioned a couple of texts that shed light on the find, finding healing and forgiveness, finding healing in forgiveness. And so I'd like to just mention a number of texts that um, portray Jesus' attitude towards those crucifying him. And we will all know that he said, Father, forgive them. Also, we have the example of Jesus when he says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And so here is an, a biblical example of what a Christian ought to do in loving your neighbor. And, you know, it was said that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus tells us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. And I guess looking at some of these uh, some of these biblical principles, one can not help but see that God admonishes us to forgive quickly and don't forgive just because they are good to you, but to treat others as you would want to be treated, to be forgiving, to love your enemies, to pray for them, um, not to hate, uh, to be embracing. But moving on, I'd like to ask a question of the panel. What has helped you with forgiving others? And what advice would you give someone? And Perhaps there are some obstacles forgiveness that you've discovered. Is it easier to forgive yourself or others, or do you find it a struggle to find, you know, to um, find both? Brenton, and then Lynn. A couple of things, Joe, fairly quickly. Number one, I have had this experience myself in life, and I realised that this um, situation and this person was actually controlling my thinking. They didn't realise this but they're actually controlling my thinking and, to a degree, my actions. It was only when I made a conscious decision in my own mind to forgive them, regardless of whether they um, accepted that forgiveness or not. Um, I think with the subject of forgiveness, God calls upon us to forgive. He doesn't call upon us to make an account of whether the person that we're forgiving has accepted it or not. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to forgive because in forgiving ourselves, we free ourselves in order to be able to continue to live. And I think that's uh, two very important points in regard to forgiving others who have wronged us, even if they choose not to accept it or um, take it on board. And sometimes that we might think they're not even worthy of our forgiveness. <laughs> Lynn? When somebody hurts us, we feel hurt. In other words, we are the victim. When you forgive, you are no longer the victim. You become the master. Yes. What Jesus was saying here, if somebody smites you on one side of the face, turn the other side because you then change from being victim to master. You're saying, here you are, and, and that's important. You've Re taken back the control. Yes. Yeah, as Len said, you are free, free of everything, free of burden, free of darkness, free of guilt. So you can enjoy life, opening another door, a new door, and looking in the future, not in the past. Mm, beautiful words. Ken? One of the things that has helped me forgive others is when I sat down and thought about it, I realized that obviously over the years 
I've maybe hurt people or caused people other problems. So I put myself well in their shoes and I realized, well, of course, if God's forgiven me, I have to forgive other people because I would be no better than them. Yeah. And just uh, another one, uh, Joe, here. I believe it's important. Uh, Jesus practiced this, and uh, I suggest that uh, this should be taken in consideration. Sometime you need to remove yourself from the immediate, uh, you know, the, the circumstances. The environment. That, the, the environment. That can help a lot. I believe it helped even in Joseph's life, being away. Imagine if Joseph, something will happen to him, will be with his brother all the time, with, with his brothers there. I believe that's very wise and important to remove yourself for a while. And uh, while you even experience healing in yourself and being able then to show forgiveness. Mm, so very good comments here. Will, would you like to tell us how the story finishes? Is it a happy ending? Well, Joseph was satisfied. He had seen in his brothers the fruits of true repentance. And uh, upon hearing Judah's noble offer that we've spoken about, Joseph gives orders that all in the in the um, leave. And then weeping aloud, he actually reveals himself. I am Joseph. And I imagine his brothers stood motionless and dumb with fear and amazement. The ruler of Egypt was their brother Joseph, whom they had envied and who they would have murdered and finally sold as a slave. But seeing their confusion, Joseph says to them, and it's a beautiful picture, Come near to me, I pray you. Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joe, the brothers were then sent home with great provisions of food and even some carriages and everything necessary to bring their father and the whole family away from the famine into the land of Egypt's abundance. The men carried the news to their old father. Joseph is alive, and he is the governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob and the whole family then moves to Egypt, helped by all the wagons that uh, Joseph had provided for them. And you know, it's here that the family of Jacob becomes numerous according to the promise of Abraham, numberless as the stars of the heavens or the sands of the sea. And of course, the prophecy would one day be fulfilled. Out of Egypt have I called my son. But of course, that is a study for another day. Beautiful. Joseph's story had a happy ending, and that is the ideal. But not all stories end with a happy ending an ending of reconciliation of both parties. And this can cause a lot of heartache, as we know. At such times, we must look to our Saviour for guidance. Learning to forgive others and to forgive ourselves is a lifelong process. Our path in life is sometimes smooth and carefree, but it can often be rocky and cause us to stumble when we hurt others and hurt ourselves. This in this life is inevitable, This being so, we must remember that the path of forgiveness and reconciliation is the best choice. As complex as it may be, God is there for us. We will find courage in his word and by fixing our eyes on him and his example. Some things we will not be able to explain or change, but we can be assured that God can turn our lives around and guide us in a positive direction if we let him. We have been forgiven much. Let us be generous in love and forgiving others. Brenton, would you like to conclude our discussion with a prayer? 
Yes, certainly, Joe. Father in heaven, we thank you for our study time today. What a wonderful story. The story of Joseph and how he forgave his brothers, how there was reconciliation. And as we have been studying the last few weeks, we've been studying the subject of peace, how to have peace. Um, eventually, all of this fell into place and his brothers recognised the depth, the magnitude of his forgiveness of their terrible crime against him. But Lord, that's put in the Bible, we believe, for a reason. It shows us how much we owe to Jesus, our Saviour, how much we have sinned against you. Lord, there will be listeners who are going to listen to this program, who are holding grudges, people who are unwilling or unable to forgive others. It's eating them out like a cancer. And I just pray, Lord, that as a result of today's study, we may realise that true forgiveness comes from God. It's a gift. Let us open our hearts to him now. And Lord, I pray for our listeners today that they will experience the forgiveness that you alone can give. And then in experiencing that and really internalizing it, they will in turn be able to forgive those who have trespassed against them. We thank you for this wonderful study. We ask, Lord, that our lives may show that we have individually experienced the true forgiveness that comes from God. May our radiant faces, may our words and our acts, Lord, honour and glorify you, and may they lead others to realise that they too can receive forgiveness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, again for your contribution to this study. I believe we could uh, learn and apply uh, lots of good lessons. We are inviting you to be part with us again next time when we are looking into free to rest. We are going to see some of the characters of the Bible, like uh, David, Elijah, Jesus' uh, approach in healing to other people. It's very important to realize that we need to start to look at ourselves and forgive ourselves. May God richly bless you. And until next time, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.